Hi guys, it's me, Lindsay Pinchuk, host of Dear Founder. You'll hear me talk a lot about community in today's episode, which is why I want to make sure to let you know Founder Fridays, our events driving community among female founders, are back in 2024, and we kicked off last week with a virtual Founder Friday. We'll be back in real life this Friday, January 26th, outside of Chicago, and soon in other cities. But click the link in our show notes to access the registration and information for all of these incredible opportunities. Join us and our amazing community of support as we work together to build and grow our businesses. And now, on to our show. Years ago, I went into one of my favorite boutiques in Detroit, Rear Ends, and was fitted with a pair of Pistola denim jeans by their owner, Ariana. I was hooked. Years later, those same jeans thankfully fit, and they've washed and worn amazingly. Multiple pairs of jeans and a few jumpsuits later, you could only imagine my excitement when a pitch came into my inbox to have Grace Na, the founder of Pistola, here on Dear Founder to share her story. I love this brand. I love it for so many reasons. Not only is it stylish and the quality is amazing, but the price is right always. And there's nothing that I love more than sharing the brands I love with you and the stories and the incredible women behind them here on this show. Grace founded Pistola in 2013. She brings over 15 years of fashion industry experience at the buying, planning, and executive levels to her brand. Obsessed with denim, Grace saw an opening in the market to design jeans that combine expert cuts with an edgy streetwise sensibility. Since starting her company, Grace is now the mom of three, further showcasing her ability to make it all happen. I can't wait for you to meet today's guest, Grace Na. Dear Founder, I'm your host, Lindsay Pinchuk. At 30 years old, I founded my first company with just $500, building it to reach 3 million people and generate seven figures in revenue for six years straight, all before I sold it. A decade later, I exited with one goal, to support other women in business through their own entrepreneurship journeys. As an entrepreneur, you wear every hat. You burn the midnight oil, and most of all, you pour your heart and soul into everything you do. But there's no blueprint for success. Every week on Dear Founder, you'll get to sit in as I pick the brain of some of my closest female founder contacts. Save yourself time, money, and hassle listening to the lessons of those who have already done it. You'll also have the chance to hear about my own founder journey, how I built my first company, and now how I'm building my second, as I share solo episodes filled with actionable lessons and steps that you can apply to your business immediately. Make sure to subscribe now so that we can build our businesses together each and every week. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. As I just told today's guest, I was so excited when she was pitched to me because I'm a consumer and I'm a subscriber and I love, love, love this brand so much. And there is nothing better than sharing a founder story from a brand that I so wholeheartedly believe in. So Grace Na, who is the founder of Fistola, is here. And I'm so excited to share your story, Grace. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. So nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you too. So obviously I've told you I've been wearing your denim for, I feel like since you came out, like literally <laughs> for a long time, but tell us what is Pistola? Tell us your story. Why did you create a denim company? Okay. So Pistola Denim is a Los Angeles based women's wear brand anchored in premium denim. I launched this brand about 10 years ago and, uh, 
we really felt like there was a miss in the market for an opening price point premium denim label. Uh, a lot of the denim during that time was either under $100, averaging, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. Um, and then there was also the premium labels who are 200 and upwards, right? And so I think um, I really saw this in the market for something that was well-made, really great fashion that was at, you know, an affordable and a retainable price. So t- let's go back to when you started this company. And let's actually talk a little bit for a minute. What did you do before this? Okay, so I started this company in 2013, but going 10 years back, I started off my career always in retail and in fashion as a planner. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the chain stores, Mervyn's. It was kind of a department store. Yep. So I started off as a planner for that um, for that retailer, and then after working as a planner for Young um, Juniors Division, I moved over to BCBG as a planner, and then switched over into a buying position. And so after buying for a couple of years at BCBG, I was able to move up into, you know, a more executive position there. Um, And after BCBG, I ended up leaving with um, somebody who wanted to invest in a woman's retail concept. And so I had the privilege of, you know, really spearheading and launching and merchandising and buying this incredible woman's concept. And we opened five stores in a matter of 18 months. And it was really amazing. And... um, after that position and after we got the um, stores up and running, um, I ended up leaving and going to another company called um, The Collective, which was based in New York, which is a women's streetwear company and a men's streetwear company. And I was head of um, the head merchandiser for all of the women's division over there. And what was it that said to you, Grace, you have to start a premium denim line. <laughs> like what? Like well, what was that moment? You know, I think it's a couple of different things. Um, at that moment, or somewhere along those years, I met my husband, um, and I was dating him. His family had been in the denim industry for over thirty years, and so um, that was their thing. And Kevin had moved back from you know living in Dallas after school, and he. Um, he wanted to start his own, he started his own premium men's denim label under his company, under his parents' company. And during that time too, I think, you know, working for a lot of men, whether it was for, you know, SYLK when I left BCBG, even at BCBG, and then also too at the collective, all of those, you know, founders and owners were men. I think, you know, really, I wanted to have a woman's point of view and be able to make decisions that I felt was right for the woman. And for the magic of retail and for the magic of a great assortment and not constantly bombarded, but be bombarded by, well, you know, what's the IMU? What's the markdown strategy? X, Y, and Z. Because sometimes they were either very numbers driven or oftentimes another thing is they had great vision, but they just couldn't like, you know, get down into the weeds and execute it. So I think, you know, in meeting my husband who, you know, had his families, who had a family who had you know, so much connections in the denim industry. And then also just having an itch to have my own thing and to try, you know, running retail my way. That's kind of how we um, ended up like coming along. And I started, I founded Pistola Denim. So when you launched the company, did you launch into retail or did you launch T2C? And the reason I'm asking this is, so I'm thinking back and I want to just echo something you just said at the top of your introduction. You said, we felt there was a void for that entry point of 
premium denim. And that's yeah. how I found you. Like I found you from, and I know exactly what store it was. <laughs> um, I was home for Thanksgiving and, and someone gave me a pair of your jeans at a boutique that I shopped at. And she said, this is like a new brand we're carrying. You should, you should absolutely give it a try. And I loved it. And she sold me on it and it was a great price point. So when you launched, what did this look like? Yeah. When we launched, it was very just like, you know, a lot of scrappy hustle mode. We kind of took our samples. We went to the trade shows. We started off by selling to boutiques, which is, you know, where you said that you found us. We're in amazing boutiques today, but that was, you know, how we started our business. And then I would say shortly after launching the brand, maybe, you know, six months to a year in, we got very fortunate and was picked up by Bloomingdale's. They were our first major retail partner. And, um, yeah, after that, I had my, I got pregnant with, you know, my first baby and, you know, three kids later, currently we're in all of the major department stores here in the U.S. and almost in around a, a thousand, I would say, specialty stores just worldwide. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, really and truly, congratulations. Thank you. How has your DTC business picked up? compared to your in-store business? Well, DTC is, currently right now, DTC is, you know, really the biggest growth factor. I would say, going back, though, to when we launched DTC in about 2016, we launched it because so much of the brand and what got bought was all determined, it, it, it relied so heavily upon what the majors were buying or what the specialty was buying, because there's MOQs tied to, you know, production cuts, Right. And so um, also, too, you know, a certain retailer might only want the sexy things from you. And another retailer only wants the more boyish, you know, casual things. And another retailer only wants basics, right? So I felt, you know, it was really hard to truly express ourselves and express, you know, the woman that we were designing for, which is like the original reason why we ended up launching DTC. We wanted to showcase to, you know, the end consumer our full collection, you know, do a couple of shoots that really showcase the woman the way we wanted her to be showcased. And so that was the original launch of DTC. And I think because we launched it that way with no expectations of like, you know, like needing to do, you know, crazy numbers right out of the bat, it was very organic. And I think, interestingly enough, at that time too, I think a lot of people were looking for a wider assortment of pistola denim. So we had very loyal um, customers who came organically to our site to really check in time to time of, you know, what was new and what's pistola offering. I think, you know, fast forward, you know, definitely like DTC has become a much larger portion of the business than what it was back in 2016. And also, too, I think, you know, more than ever, I think the customer wants, you know, engagement, community, a story, you know, storytelling, even in like, you know, the imagery. And she wants to see a full collection. So DTC currently right now, it's a much bigger portion than what it was when we first launched. And I think, you know, in the next one to two years, we'll probably be, you know, we're forecasting that it's going to be our largest growing division. You know, it's interesting, just as, on yeah. a personal note, when I think about how I've consumed your brand, like I said, you know, I was introduced in a small boutique and I had this pair of jeans and I loved my jeans that I had from you, but it, it really wasn't until I went to your website and purchased that yeah. I, and I was able to see like, oh, okay, like this is like, the full collection. And I don't yeah. have to just like look at what's hanging, you know, in the two or three styles that this brand has. Um, and I ordered the jumpsuit. Like I just ordered, which is 
that has really become, I feel like a staple for you. Yes. It really has. And I think like, you know, it's crazy because I think, you know, like we really design for the woman where, you know, we're really designing to fill a void in our own closet spaces, you know, and like, you know, personally, I'm now a mom of three. I run a business. I have, you know, mom duties, but I also have business duties and I have to, you know, I travel a lot. I have meetings, I have work dinners, I have play dates and whatnot. And so, you know, I'm also a consumer. I love fashion. And I think, you know, it really starts with what I feel like is a miss in the market and what I feel like I need to wear. And I think, you know, the whole idea of a jumpsuit and even like, you know, tonal monochromatic dressing or even denim on denim, it's that layer of you don't have to think about it so hard. You just go like we're all busy. We all need something easy that we can mindlessly put together, like, you know, throw on and feel put together. in. And so I think that is really the beauty of how, you know, the the big business of the jumpsuit got started. And we're now really known, you know, not only for our great denim, but also for, you know, the one and done jumpsuit pieces. So I want to go back a little bit. Obviously, like you met your husband and he had an in in the dem in the denim industry and that was that's an amazing part of this story but you have a lot of experience in fashion that's your yeah. whole background is fashion and retail what are some things that you brought along to your current company and what are some things that you left behind okay so i think that's a great question. I think to start off with like my love of fashion, I think it start. you know, I always grew up in a middle-class family. Um, back in college days, I had an aunt who lived in Hong Kong and in London who would, co- who would come and visit once or twice a year. And when she was here, she would take me on these, you know, extravagant shopping trips. She was in Rodeo, at Barney's, at Saks, and also back in the days, back in the days, if it was 2004 and five. Was Robertson Boulevard with you know the Madison, the Kitson, and the intermixes of the world. And so at a very early age, I think I was very um, you know privy and like understanding and like I was aware of all these contemporary brands. And it was her joy. It was really you know she really wanted to find the most of the moment brands and of the moment pieces, and you know be proud of it and be the first person to have it, like in Hong Kong or in London. And so, you know, when she wouldn't come, she would send me her credit card and say, Grace, can you go shop for me at these places? And I think, you know, that's how from a very early age, I had this discerning eye to, you know, cool fashion, nothing too crazy because she wouldn't wear anything too crazy, but then also too, to great quality. And so I think, you know, that's where my love of fashion truly came from. And I think, you know, just being at school, I always thought, oh, I'm going to go into finance. I had so many, you know, uncles and cousins and friends who were all in finance and investment banking. But there was this like, you know, side of this fashion side of me that was calling me. And so I kind of like met some, like I decided that, you know, entering the planning world in fashion would be something kind of a nice middle ground. And so in the planning world, you're really looking at open to buys. You're looking at, you know, how well a product is turning your entire department term, the markdown ratio, the sell-through and whatnot. And so that's where I really learned the economics of the business. And it was really important during that time where we had a profitable business, you know, and we had these target goals of how much inventory we wanted to end the year with and whatnot. So I think that was a great, great, great learning experience to be rooted in the numbers. And then later on, when I had the opportunity to buy, I think as a buyer back in the day, you know, you were really responsible for that category of your business. If business is bad, they would look at you and say, why is your business bad? You know, and oftentimes we would look at the product and say, is the product not good enough? You know, was it not priced right? And so I think that was buying. 
And later on, as I moved into more leadership roles of, you know, head of merchandising, head of buying, I think it was a combination of everything. It was a combination of, you know, a strong open to buy, a strong, strong, strong assortment. I think, you know, I've all, I'm also a truly true believer that, you know, yes, you know, having your bread and butter basics and your best sellers and, you know, something that everybody wants to buy is important, but also too, you have to really excite your customer. And, you know, those are oftentimes like risky purchases and while they might not sell through and, you know, perform amazing, but those risks are really important to take so that you're constantly keeping the girl engaged and, you know, having her guess like what's new. So I think taking all of those learnings is how I kind of, um, is all of the learnings that I applied to Pistola. So I would say those are the things that I brought with me. I think some of the things that I didn't bring with me, hmm. Maybe it's that, you know, sometimes again, in working for, you know, so many male founders, I think just a lot of the male founders that I worked for, they're wired a little bit differently. And what's important to them was very different. I think I was always passionate about the product, about the merchandise assortment, and really, you know, having a great, exciting assortment for the woman. I think, you know, for them, sometimes it was like, oh, but, you know, what's your initial markup? You know, your overall blended initial markup, like, how do we get better terms? Like it was so much in the numbers that ultimately sometimes you have to make those sacrifices and say, you know what? Like, yeah, these terms are not the most amazing or this markup isn't the most amazing, but it's so amazing. And the girl and our customer needs this. We just need to figure out how to bring it in. So I think those types of very rigid rules, I think is what I left behind. I love that. And I want to just say, so you talk about like, a risky piece or, or whatnot. So I actually went out of my comfort zone during your Black Friday sale and I bought a pair of brown, they're actually sitting on my chair over here, brown faux leather pants, which I normally would not buy. But I was yeah. like, I subscribe to this brand. I know that they fit me. I know what my size is. And like, what's the worst? I return them if they don't look good. And I love them and I can't wait to wear them. So, but it like, it was the, tr- the that trust factor in yeah. knowing that your stuff fits me and it works for me that allowed me to go out of my comfort zone and buy something I normally probably wouldn't buy. Amazing. I love that. And I feel like also too, it's also like hopefully and eventually it's continually trusting in us that we're not going to make a piece that's so like crazy that I would look at another woman wearing and say, what is she wearing? You know, but I think, you know, it's just subtle pieces that I think, you know, you can feel like extra special in or a little bit dressed up in or wear to an event. And actually those leather, that leather pants, I hope it really, I hope you wear them a lot. I think everybody in the office owns a pair. They're super soft and so comfortable that it's not like just a going out piece, but a lot of girls end up just wearing it to the office with the t-shirt and some boots. I can't wait to wear them. (laughs) I mean, like really, I cannot wait to wear them. Now, one of the things that I think sets you apart is your price point. I mean, you have a really palatable price point and You know, I definitely buy things that are higher and I definitely buy things that are lower, but I will say as a shopper and as a consumer, I am, I am very price sensitive like you. I'm a mom. I have two kids. I have two girls who Uh literally ask me for things all day, every day. They're nine and 13. They, they literally send me links all day long. So, you know, now I have to kind of split my fashion budget with my kids, but so, but you guys have a really great price point. What else is it and how else is it that you guys differentiate yourself from the rest of the market? I think definitely the price point is, you know, one of our definite pillars and more than price point, it's really the value, right? So I think this kind of like goes back to when my aunt at a young age, like, you know, I thought Banana Republic and J. Crew was luxury, but she was shopping these crazy prices and I got so used to it. 
um, that quality. And that's what I so desperately wanted was, you know, that amazing of the moment fashion piece, the amazing quality, right? But at a price that I can, you know, reasonably attain. So I think that was, you know, a goal of mine from a very early age on. And so, yeah, I think it's really important that even for myself right now, I'm able to shop, you know, really, really high. I'm able to shop low, but I want Pistola to be like, oh, don't really have to think too much about it. It's very fairly priced. We work really, really hard on making the prices like as good as they are. So um, I'm happy that that's something that, you know, our customers and you also, you know, really enjoy and see as a value. I think another thing too that we're maniacal about is really fit. I think, um, I, I think, you know, like I drive my team crazy, but oftentimes, you know, in this price point that we're in, like maybe you get, you know, on an average, like you fit two, three times. I would say on an average for a new style, we fit like five, six, I, I won't stop fitting until the fit is perfect. So I feel like that's another thing that really sets us apart. I think uh, another thing that possibly sets us apart is that, you know, we like to take risks on fashion. And that's, you know, my belief that, you know, you do, like, it's great to make these safe industry bestsellers and things that, you know, are happening right now. But also, too, it's really important to take the risks and to really push the customer and to, you know, be aspirational and have them try new things out. And we can try new things out. Not all of them, you know, you're not going to bat 100. But within those risks, I think you're able to find some gems. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast. As I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast, Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. One of the things that I want to mention and I want to ask you about in terms of pricing is your quality is amazing. And I, and I am a walking testament to that. I have my very first jeans that I ever bought from you. Nothing's ever happened to them. They've washed well. And I will say they are a far better quality than some of the jeans that I have that were twice as much money. I mean, really and truly, like I have jeans that cost me two, two and a half times more money that are worn. They've ripped, not my pistolas. I mean, really, like, I'm not just saying that, like I wear the original pair that I bought still to this day. Thank God they fit me. Um, thank God. Um, but how do you keep the price down? It's a lot of different things. So I think, you know, again, like having come into a family business where they had, you know, existing relationships with the fabric mills and with also the sewing factories and the laundry houses, that was really important. Now, when we first launched Pistola, most of our production was done here in LA. And, you know, LA is really known for their denim industry. 
But also because one of our pillars is the price point, over the years, the cost of labor and everything has just gotten so expensive over here, we ended up moving it to Mexico and also to Asia. But I think, you know, it's really about, I think we can start getting into like, you know, product development and production things over here, but it's really about like having a solid base of your core fabrications, negotiating amazing costing there. Um, and then also too, just having and finding vendors who are really good at specific categories that they're good at, right? And really figuring out how to optimize their lines, you know? And I think also too, the value play, it's like, how can I give the consumer like, and I would say it's a free detail. Let's say it costs, you know, one or $2 on our end. And it's just that, you know, it's a much thicker, you know, hemline, it's a thick cuff, but where the customer is able to feel like, oh, wow, this is like amazing perceived value. You know, this sweater looks like it's a thousand dollars, but you know, it's 178, you know, this Jane, you know, like, I think it's, you know, 350 or 500, you know, maybe in high, in like, you know, the fast, eh, no, sorry, in the high end world, but wow, you know, they're able to do it for 178 or 198. I think it's in those free details and knowing like, you know, how we can increase the value um, cost efficiently. And then also too, it's just really placing your bets on amazing fabrications that, you know, you love and you know works. I think denim is about fabric, it's about fit, and it's about wash. So fabric is a big part of that. So you said something that I just want to reiterate on for the people who are listening to this episode. You talked about vendors and finding the right vendors who really do what they do really well. And I want to just point that out because this doesn't just apply to grace in the denim industry or a product industry. I mean, this applies to any business. When you are in business, you need to make sure that your vendors are the right vendors and that they do what they are saying they are doing really, really well. And when you have those relationships, you can do things like get the price down or go outside your comfort zone with a new product or whatever it might be. And I I just, I think that there's something to be said about that and reiterating that because oftentimes I find that founders are so hesitant to hire people or hire a, a, a vendor, you know, a partner, you know, but it's really doing your due diligence and making sure they're the right fit. Absolutely. If they're the ones who are making your product and you really only have one chance with the new customer, right? So I feel like you don't want to be taking a huge leap of faith and guessing and wondering if the vendor is going to do a good job. I think you really want to vet your vendors. And if there's somebody who really knows what they're doing and they have a great resume and, you know, a great brand matrix of who, who like other brands that they're supplying, I think, you know, that's, that says a lot. And so it's really important to find the right vendors and to maintain great relationships with them. So you talked a little bit at the beginning about organic growth after you launched and how you were in some of the small stores and then you were, you got into Bloomingdale's and you mentioned the term organic growth. So how have you grown organically and how much of your growth has been organic versus like paid and paid ads? Right. So, you know, interestingly enough, I think, you know, since we started off as a private company and we're still a hundred percent privately owned and, you know, luckily enough, um, first, second year, we were profitable. So we never had, you know, like VC or private equity, like breathing down our necks for this like crazy growth. And so for us to be, we were very heads down the past 10 years, just continuing to, you know, grow year over year. As long as we were profitable, we need, we didn't really need to spend so much money on marketing. So I would say uh, maybe in 2017, is probably when we really kind of like, that's after we launched our D2C. 
And then now, like, that's when we kind of, you know, joined an agency and we pay for, you know, digital ad space and whatnot. But that's just about the marketing that we've done. And I think uh, now, 10 years later, I think, you know, the new initiative, now that, you know, I I feel more prouder than ever of um, the assortment, I feel like we really do have a strong and great collection. I think the next focus for me is really, like, how do we get it out there now, right? So... I think um, over the course of the next couple of years, we're going to be pressing the gas pedal on marketing. We're going to talk a little bit about what's next in a minute, but (laughs) how does your D2C complement your retail business? And I think that's a really important piece too, because you don't want it to cannibalize, right? You still have these retailers that have been loyal to your business. They carry your product, they buy from you, and you want people to go in and buy from them as well. But you do have this D2C component that is generating a ton of revenue for you. So how do they complement one another? Yeah, I think they complement each other more than ever. I feel like often, a lot of times I, I heard a lot of feedback where people were saying, where other brands were saying, you know, oh, well, that's something that really only works for wholesale and it doesn't work for retail and vice versa. But I really think we're in an era where, you know, people have instant access to product. And so more than ever, I feel like the product that's working for wholesale, oftentimes and not, is also working on your side as well, too. And I think, you know, any wholesaler, unless like, you know, in front of their storefront, they have a sign to store, they can't buy 100% of your collection. You know, they really do. Like, you know, we might be a large part of, you know, their total assortment, but, you know, they're going to buy, you know, one or two jumpsuits from us, four of their favorite fits that their customers really love, like, you know, a specific sweater style and maybe three different colors. But we offer so much more than that. So I think it's great that, you know, our retail partners can showcase their kind of, you know, curated edit of what they want Pistola to be for their customers. But then that customer can then come back to our site to say, wow, they have this jumpsuit and they have, you know, this other fit and they have this other sweater that I really love. And so I think that it really complements each other in that way. Part of why I ask that too is because I think it's so important to point out to product-based businesses that even if you are in retail and you have D2C, your advertising and marketing and awareness that you're generating for your D2C does help the retail space as well. And it should complement it, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, where I think like the end consumer, if you're really designing for this, and I feel like, you know, we design for the woman on the go, right? So she's busy, she's living her life, she's a career woman, or she could be a mom of two or three. She's the woman on the go. We think the woman on the go is everywhere, you know, and she's either, if she's not shopping directly with us, she could be shopping with, you know, a shop up, or she could be shopping with, you know, a Nordstrom's. So I think um, really just being available to the woman wherever she is comfortable shopping is really important. You mentioned your team a couple minutes ago. What does your team look like? Wow. I have a, we have a pretty like solid team and I think, you know, I'm really proud of the team that we've been able to build over the past few years. Um, I think we have a new head of marketing. She joined us um, with so much experience in denim and specifically Levi's. Um, we have a head of merchandising. We have a head of design. We have a, we have a head of production and product development and, you know, tech and pattern. We have a head of sales. We have a head of customer service. So we're pretty built out in terms of heads. And um, some are newer. Some have been with us for a few years. And yeah, I think the next couple of years, I'd really like to continue to, you know, work with them so that they really are able to help, um, what's it called, and have a bigger impact outside of me on like growing the business. You just definitely cannot do it alone. 
And I think, you know, you need like really strong individuals who are really good at what they do to then be able to take, you know, the brand and the quality and everything about the brand to the next level. So you don't have to talk about financials, but I would like to paint a picture of growth. And you talked about being profitable in year one. So like, how have you grown year over year? Like what has been the trajectory of growth? I would say like, you know, in the very early years, our growth percentages were rather large, right? Where you're starting from zero. So I think, you know, also too, it's just like being very, very, very laser focused on profitability and knowing, okay, well, how many units of this should I bring in? How much are the margins? And part of that, you know, you learn as you go, as you go. I don't think I ever learned like, you know, um, the manufacturing markup or whatnot until I actually really joined this business, even though I have been in the retail and the fashion space. But um, yeah, growth in some years have looked like double, you know, what we did the prior year. And on some years where it was a little bit more economically challenging for factors outside of our own, might have looked like it was, you know, anywhere from 20 to 35%. But we have had steady growth year over year. Um, And we continue to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, we are a profitable business. I think that's really important for us, especially because we're privately owned. How many doors are you in? I would say including specialty and including like all the specialty doors that were in internationally, maybe a little over a thousand. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, I, and I'm asking for numbers. I'm going to cut this out, but I'm asking for numbers just so when I'm writing up the story, I can paint that picture of growth for people who, you know what I mean? Who don't necessarily know the brand. Um, I feel like from like 20, I think it's, I think it's also interesting to like, no, like, I think everybody experienced, not everybody, I think a lot of us experienced a large growth from 2020 to 2021. I mean, 2020, everything was shut down. And 2021, I think, you know, with all the stimulus, everybody wanted to shop everything. So in 2021, I think a lot of us just, you know, had these crazy high um, demand that we needed to fulfill. And then going into, you know, 2022 and 2023, the demand softened a little bit. And I think during that time, everybody was now reckoning with, you know, inventory, all this inventory that, that they had, you know, bought into to be able to support that demand. That demand was slowly diminishing. I think in 2024 and 2025, I think it'll be an interesting time. Like, I don't think the market and the economic conditions are amazing, but I do believe that product is king. And if you have a really great product assortment and something that, you know, your customer wants, she's going to find it and she's going to buy it. And you have a really solid price point. I mean, you do. We do. We do. And I don't, I mean, we, I don't mean to like hammer that home or beat a dead horse, but I mean, really and truly you do. So you talked a little bit about what's next, but what is next? Gosh, I think, you know, like I said, for the past 10 years, we were heads down, really focusing on quality, really focusing on the product assortment. I think the next part is really now pressing the gas pedal on like brand visibility. It's about acquiring and finding new customers it's about more brand awareness via marketing and, you know, new different types of marketing channels. We've never really had like, you know, a huge influencer partnership business or even, you know, like a huge campaign. Um, but that's something that we're looking forward to in the next couple of years, next couple of seasons or years. We would love a brick and mortar store. I think it's really important to, you know, connect with the customer and especially in the world of denim. I understand like, you know, the need to Try a couple pairs on, find your fit, you know, find your size. So a couple of brick and mortar locations scattered throughout the nation is definitely something that's, you know, on my vision board for the next one to two years. 
I'm happy to head up your influencer campaign, just so you know. I'm just oh. putting it out there. Sounds good. I will definitely have my head of marketing reach out. I mean, I'm half kidding, but I'm half not because I, I mean, I like, I love you. I love your stuff so much. So before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I ask everyone at the end. And that is what are three actionable steps that you would advise a new female founder to take when they're starting their business? Uh, You know, I think the leadership space is a tough space. So I think just make sure that you have the grit and the resilience. I think that is really just like, you know, half of the battle. There's going to be tough times. I think, you know, what's shown on social media or what's written about, it's very surface level. But I think, you know, to be able to really run a business for however long, you know, in in my case, it's been 10 years now, it did take a lot of thick skin, grit and resilience to be able to withstand like, you know, a lot of the ups and downs. Um, I would say number two is be a strong leader. I think as a leader, you forget that. But I think everybody is looking for you to be the leader and for you to be a decision maker. And um, sometimes I have to remind myself, oh, right, you know what, the times that I make a decision, you know, that I head forward, make that decision, whether it's a good one or a bad one. I mean, hopefully most of the time it's good decisions and sometimes it's going to be bad decisions. But I think, you know, you have to be a really good decision maker and a leader within your corporation. And um, if you fail, then fail well and learn from it. And I would say third is probably hiring good people if you can. I think, you know, for myself in particular, I think um, even earlier on when the budget did permit, I think I was doing too much of it on my own, you know, and like I was too in the weeds. But what I'm realizing now, you know, now that, you know, we have the luxury to lean, like, you know, step back and be able to really hire who we want to hire. I think, you know, just having the amazing team um, put into place where they can really like optimize on areas that you're not even well-versed in, or you don't know so much about and have them help you grow that sector of your business along the way. I think that's, you know, really imperative. Grace Na, founder of Pistola. Thank you so much for creating a product that I love so much. And I am so excited to share your story with our community. Oh, thank you so much, Lindsay. In case you missed it, I shared last week that for something new to conclude our episode, I am going to leave you with my number one takeaway from every conversation. Not five, just one. So for today's, Grace Knott had so many amazing nuggets of information, but my favorite actionable takeaway from today is that you need to keep your head down and focus on your product first. Grace and her team didn't get wrapped up in any hoopla. You barely see her in the press. She has been heads down focusing on her product, making sure that it is as amazing as it is. And it's only now, 10 years later, that they are stepping out into some bigger partnership ideas. But the reason that they can do this is because they've perfected what it is that they sell. Thank you to Grace for being here today. And thank you to all of you for joining our conversation. If you liked what you heard on the podcast today, I would love it if you left a five-star rating and a review so that others can find this conversation. All you have to do is go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash dear found her or click the link in the show notes and leave a review wherever it is that you podcast. If you know someone who you think we should meet, send them our Meet a Founder link in the show notes. We'll introduce them to our community on our social media and our website later this year. But for now, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Have a great rest of the week and we'll see you soon.